Hey everyone, I'm Brenda and I'm Julia and you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Today, we have on with us Nakia Homer. Nakia is a well-being educator, mental wellness advocate, and a best-selling author. Her book is gorgeous. Through programs, speaking workshops, facilitation, and consulting. Oh my God, words today. (laughs) Nakia helps people sustain their well-being, operate in their brilliance, and show up in their lives and work as the best versions of themselves, which are all things we love. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. So many words in Nikia's bio, just they light you up. Brilliant, showing up in your life. I'm so I'm so excited to get into all of that. But first, Nikia, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, where you're from. And if you don't mind saying how old you are since it's roaring 20s. Oh my gosh, my, you never ask a lady <laughs> her age. You can fly, um, we wouldn't know. I know, right? Well, um, you were able to eloquently, despite the the word mix up, um, introduce me well. I probably would have said most of those things, but essentially, um, I am an author and a well being educator. And what I do is share my personal story of becoming this version of me: the ups, the downs, the ins and outs, the happies, the sad, and um, in a way that I hope will be helpful for others who are trying to do the same. I actually believe that's my purpose in life to become who. I need to be so that other people who need me to be that version of me can be the version they need to be themselves. Um, I live in Atlanta, but I rep New Jersey all day, every day. I'm a Jersey girl through and through. And I am in my 40s. I just celebrated my 42nd birthday um, on the 7th of last week. So that's a little bit about me. Amazing. And how's the 40s so far? Is it better than 20s? It's great. I, um... I still feel young and I have to remind myself that I'm not. <laughs> so you I'm are. one of those people who say, you know, when someone's in their 40s, I'm like, you know, she's a little older. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm her. <laughs> I'm older. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, no like way. Every age. Love it. We love it. We love it. Oh my goodness. So much of what you said rings so true for us and what we do here. We just feel like the vulnerability that you share and that you have is a huge reason why we wanted you to be on the show. Um, just because we found that through having these types of conversations, through being honest about our own healing and our own journeys, and just like, you know, not putting this whole idea of being perfect, whatever that even means, because nobody is, um, has just connected us so much more deeply to people in our lives beyond people we don't even know um and really to ourselves as well to accept that that's okay and that we're working through all these things so we're so excited um and yeah and we want just if you could give us a little background on your story so for people that don't know you or haven't come across your stuff yet you know what's a little bit about your story and what led you to your own healing journey thank you for asking I actually started this life this personal development life this wellness life um, just by way of needing to do my own personal work. I didn't think that it would lead me to the path that I'm on, 
certainly didn't see this coming. I had so many other plans for my life, but I think that that's why I try to remind everyone that we will get to where we need to be when we need to be there as the versions of ourselves that we need to be. So my story begins with two teenage parents. My mom was 15. My dad was 16. And they weren't even a couple when I was born. I mean, if you can be a couple at that young age, but I was born to them. And as you can imagine, they had no idea what to do with me. And so my paternal grandmother volunteered to raise me. She brought me home from the hospital and I was with her in the home with my dad, my uncle, and my aunt. That's where I grew up in New Jersey. Um, Had a really good relationship with my mom. She lived right around the corner. I know her as mom, but I knew my grandmother as mom as well and doing the best she could with the education, the resources she had. She worked up to three jobs to take care of us. And it left me vulnerable to some of the things you can imagine people who face, who live under the conditions in the projects, teenage parents in an urban area might be met with. And so very early on, I started to see things in my environment and my family and my friends that just wasn't in alignment with If that was even a word I knew, I know I didn't know that word at that age, but it just didn't sit well with me. Mm -hmm. Um, I just didn't see a future where I was. I didn't see anyone modeling the kind of life that I wanted to live. And so I just... I say, I credit God because that's my source. Just had a plan for me and I believed God instead of what statistics said, um, instead of what my environment showed me, instead of what people around me with their limiting beliefs um, may have shared. And just that, that journey of becoming who I wanted to be is what led me to where I am. It actually started at 10. I was sitting in a um, kind of an arena type thing. When I tell the story, I tell it in a way that it sounds so with such conviction, but I really don't remember the details. All I remember is that there was a woman there. She had her hair pulled back like I do. She had glasses. She had red lipstick. And she started to kind of run off these statistics about people like us. It was young adults or young kids. And so she said, if you grow up in an environment where there was drugs and alcohol, you're more than likely to become um, an alcoholic and in, in drugs, teenage parents, you'll be a teenage parent, smokers, violence, all of the things. And so as she was talking, I, I, I like to say, initially, I'm like, why are you telling my business? Because everything <laughs> she said was a part of the story of my life. And then I was thinking, I don't care what you say. That's not what I'm going to be. That's not who I'm going to be. That's not how I'm going to live. And so I really started to set goals from that moment on. My first goal was to get out of the hood. My second goal was to not be a teenage parent. And all I knew how to do in order to accomplish that was to go to college, get a job that would pay me enough. And that's where really this all started. Wow. It's a a beautiful story. And something that you said a couple times that that really stood out to me is this idea of like limiting beliefs, especially I think in our 20s. And then also beyond that, given where you come from, what circumstances you come from, the people around you, like it's it's a double-edged sword because we have our own limiting beliefs about ourselves. And then there's like all these other beliefs that are put onto us from our parents, our community, our teachers, whoever it may be. And so I'm, I'm 
curious as to how you were able to go so vehemently in the direction that you went and not give in to the limiting beliefs that maybe your community or your parents or whoever were, were even subconsciously putting on you. Because I think a lot of times it's not purposeful that Mm -hmm. people put their limiting beliefs onto us, but it just is one of those things that happens. Yeah, agreed. Um, No one ever said to me, do what I do, you know, go where I go. In fact, my parents who did the best that they could with the mindset, the capacity that they had urged me not to. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, we often end up doing what we see more so than what is said to us because it's a part of our intake. It's input and then output and what we see, what's modeled. And if it's, especially if it's all we know, we tend to just do what comes easily to us. And so there, when I, when I share my life, especially um, with people who are younger than I am, I don't, I try to be careful because I am looking in hindsight and seeing the things. But when I was in it, I had no idea what I was doing. So when someone says something, if it didn't sit right with my spirit, that's how I like to say it. We all have intuition. We all have this core um, being that sits and resides in the the inside of us. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we feel a certain way, um, but we ignore how we feel based on what's said or based on what we see. And so because I was alone a lot growing up and because I didn't identify with a lot of people growing up, I really started to look inward very early on. And because I looked inward, I trusted what was being said to me in there. I trusted what I felt in there. And so to answer your question, as I grew up and people were introducing certain lifestyles, certain ideals, um, my grandmother, in fact, um, wanted me to do a certain thing in life um, that I didn't end up doing. I compared what was being said to what I felt. I started there. The other thing that was really important, and I see this looking back, that I've always done this, I like to check the source. Um, So speaking of those limiting beliefs, I know that certain people only have a certain capacity when it comes to things like entrepreneurship, um, personal development and spirituality, healing, growth. You can only do what you can do based on your lived experience. Mm -hmm. And so I would look at the source and I would say, you know, well, why is this person saying this to me? Do they have the information I need in order to actually get the answers I seek? And if the answers were no, I would, you know, keep seeking. Mm. I'm so glad you said that. It's some it's something me and Brenda I think have learned a lot, particularly this year, Mm -hmm. is um in, in in alignment with checking the source of like to not take advice or criticism for from people whose lives you don't wish to emulate and it's just that has been a big learning lesson for both of us this year so I'm I'm really glad you brought up that point yeah definitely it's it's so easy especially I think when you um, have a lot of empathy and care for others and just value people's opinions. Um, I know for both Julia and myself, a big piece of our purpose is, you know, making people feel less alone and making them feel heard and understood. So sometimes we don't even realize that comes along with almost like taking on people's opinions so heavily. Um, so that's super powerful. I know our listeners will definitely resonate with that. And something else that you mentioned um, that I think really resonates with the whole twenties thing and really probably for the rest of our lives is, um, 
that we will get to the place that we're meant to get to as the version of ourselves that we need to get to with one goal at a time. And that just is like really stick, sticking in my head because I think we we have this whole timeline or idea of what version of ourselves we're supposed to be. And it's so cool to really to really believe that everything does serve a purpose in our lives. And I'm curious in terms of like, as you identified whose opinions or advice and stuff you would take, how did you really, how did you garner the courage to really do what's best for you and what serves you um, without like worrying about how it would impact anyone else? You know, not in a selfish way, but more so in like, I, I got to do what's yeah, best for Or me. their opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great question. I speak a lot about boundaries in my work now, um, specifically boundaries with family members or relatives or people you love. And the reason why I'm able to speak with such conviction is because it really was um, a huge learning lesson process, trial and error type of thing with me. I actually really did care what people thought for a very long time. Um, not being raised by my mother created issues with abandonment, rejection, um, heartbreak early on in life did that for me. And so, you know, now I know what that was, you know, as I was going through the process, it was me looking to fill those voids, those holes, those things that, um, those questions I had and things and parts of me that weren't validated in the way that I need to. So I really did struggle. So I went from listening to everything, everyone, to really understanding who I was, what I needed. And then um, again, if things weren't really aligned with what I knew on the inside, the voice that was within me and the feeling, then I started to challenge it. And one of the reasons why I did that, I say this now, the people who have a problem with your boundaries are usually, right? Um, typically, when you want to do something or need to do something that is in your best interest, um, people who love you won't question it. They'll say, great, do what you need to do. You know, be who you need to be. Take the space you need. I love it. Um, the ones who have a problem with that are people who don't benefit from you taking care. And so I started to see this pattern where there were people who were all for me doing what I needed to do and listening to my inner guidance, listening to the voice of God and doing what I felt was right for me. And then there were people who constantly questioned it. And so I had to consider who's questioning it, when they're questioning it and why. And I learned early on that I only struggled with this with people who weren't in, in line with where I really wanted to go anyway. And so rather than feeling guilty about releasing those people or putting some distance between us or doing what was needed in order for us, you know, whoever, whomever this was to, you know, go into ourselves, I saw what I was doing it for. And so I always tell people, if you struggle with boundaries, ask yourself why you need it. Because boundaries is not a punishment, it's preventative work. Mm -hmm. It's to prevent either party, you know, from having difficulty, making everything clear. And if we do this ahead of time, then we don't struggle. And so, yeah, it was just a, a lot of trial and error, a lot of really assessing and editing the people that were in my life and questioning not all my boundaries, but the people who are trying to cross them or questioning them. And then I saw this pattern. And so the next time I knew what to look for. Mm. 
Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that you got into that because it can be a really difficult thing. Boundaries, I think, especially in our twenties, it's something that we're really learning about and then unlearning and then relearning and then reassessing. Um, but it really is important. And it's just one of those things that is difficult. Like until you really get the hang of it, like it's difficult. And I heard, um, we won't get too into it, it, but Glennon Doyle did a podcast on boundaries yesterday and I love her. And uh, they were talking about how, um, her definite, her sister's definition of boundaries is what you're responsible for. Mm -hmm. And like, it was, it was just very interesting to hear in that light of like, you're responsible for, you know, you could be responsible for your actions and your feelings, but you're not responsible for how them, them, and them view that. And it was really interesting to hear it in that, in that light. And it's something I know that we're both Brenda and I are particularly working on. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. And especially I, I heard something, I honestly, I don't remember what podcast it was on but something about no being a complete sentence um Mm. rang so powerfully to me because I have this I guess tendency I don't really know what to call it to have to over explain myself and why I'm doing something out of fear of offending someone else um and you mentioned guilt as well in you know not feeling guilty for setting boundaries something that I feel so heavily to be real is is guilt like guilt for things that I don't know that everybody feels guilty for like guilt for like maybe not spending enough time with someone in my family on a certain week um or guilt for yeah setting a boundary so it's it's really interesting and I think that as someone that really values other people um you know we want to make sure we're valuing ourselves in that same way and giving ourselves the respect we deserve yeah 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 it's also helpful to others because um a lot of times one of the things that i've noticed with myself and then in my work as well is that a lot of times we get upset or offended by people who cross boundaries we never set you know we've never had a conversation about our time with our mother really because it's our mother and we don't want to offend her and we don't think we can we don't want to be disrespectful but a lot of times we're projecting how we might feel um because we haven't grown into ourselves fully and into our voice fully and even understanding and taking ownership of why we need it we project how we might feel if if we hear it when truthfully um as i said the people who love you are okay with it and sometimes it's just a matter of having a conversation and being clear on what you need um and then it's just everyone's all for it and you don't have anything to really feel guilty about incredible incredible piece of advice i definitely yeah. And I'm curious, just kind of going off of that for someone that's listening and, you know, maybe they've attempted to create a boundary with someone in their life and they find that person consistently breaking that boundary, maybe having a conversation about a topic that you've said, you know, this is not something I'm comfortable about uh, t- talking about with you, whatever it may be. Um, what advice would you give them? How would you navigate? Let's say it's someone that's important in their lives um, that they don't particularly want to exclude, <laughs> um, but just doesn't get it the way they need them to. So it, I have this whole thing because I really needed it about boundaries that I just think of when I think of having tough conversations. So the, the one thing um, is to, a lot of times when we have a boundary, it's or need to 
create a boundary, especially now, because this is the season of boundaries and we're all woke and we're all healing and growing, but it wasn't this way that long ago. You know, we were kind of those of us who were seekers and really trying to become who we wanted to be. We were doing it in secret and we're having these conversations, right? So we engage with people based on how we knew to engage with them. And however that was, we just accept it, whether we liked it or not. Mm -hmm. And then now we're growing and we're healing and we're we're becoming more confident and more aware. And we need to change the dynamic of the relationship. Well, with anything, because you engage with that person for that long in that way, it's going to take some time for both parties to get used to the new way of being. And so I would say, when you've had a conversation, and it is necessary sometimes to have the difficult conversation, you have to give that person a moment to kind of catch up. And then a lot of times we have to even guide them um, along the way because it's our boundaries. They don't know it. So we really have to be clear. So I would say have the conversation if needed. Sometimes it doesn't require a conversation. Sometimes we can just start to do what we, we need. And so um, one of the things I did with my grandmother, who, who I love with all of me, but I could not talk to her early in the morning because she's elder, she was elder, she just passed away um, last year. So when I'm talking, I'm still getting used to talking to her about her in past tense. But she would call and want to talk to me about who's sick and who had a baby and who, like all of this stuff <laughs> early in the morning. And I'm like, I can't do that before getting ready for my day. It's too heavy, it's too early. Yes. So I didn't wanna hurt her feelings and say, you know, don't call me early in the morning or I don't wanna talk about that. So what I did is I just stopped answering the phone because you don't have to answer the phone if you it's don't want so to. <laughs> So I didn't answer for an extended amount of time. And initially when I did call her back, I would call her when I knew I was ready. Um, she would say, oh, I called you. And I would go, yeah, I wasn't available. So I'm telling her and showing her by not answering. After a while, she realized she would get me in the afternoon if she tried, or I would call her in the afternoon. And that's when we would talk. She just stopped calling in the morning. So I didn't have to hurt her feelings. I didn't have to have this difficult conversation that I didn't want to have. I just showed her what I needed mm. by, by being responsible, like you said earlier, Julia, for my own boundary. Mm. And I avoided all the messy you know, messiness that could have been. Um, and that's my best example. So have the conversation. And then sometimes you have to give people time or guide them along the line of your boundary. And eventually, again, the people who love you will get it. Now, if you've done this and they're still crossing the boundaries, then you need to question the person and the role that they have in your life. And that goes even deeper into difficulty, but it's a part of life. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. That makes so much sense. Um, just what you said in general, we actually say this in a different setting. We say it, Julia, to our friends, like as they're navigating the dating world, we're like, we, you know, what you feel is valid, getting offended, it makes sense. But here's the thing, like, did you have this conversation? Because if you're playing by these rules, quote unquote, or playing by this playbook, and this other person has no idea what the rules are, like, how can you expect them to succeed or meet you where you are? So that yeah. reminded me in that sense. And then in terms of kind of training people for these rules or guidelines, whatever it is that we want to call them, 
Um, it's so interesting because I feel like we, we talk about evolving a lot because we have ourselves evolved obviously throughout our lives, but very much throughout this past year. And, um, it's funny because as these like newer, more authentic versions of ourselves come about, of course we're shifting. And, you know, for myself, for example, just to give a very quick one, there was a point in which I used to like ask my boyfriend, ask my friends, ask my family to like help me stick to a certain like regimen when it came to honestly dieting and stuff like that. And then as I wanted to exit that piece of my life, I would get really offended by people when they would continue to do so. Cause I'm like, I'm over that. I'm over that phase. You don't get it. You don't respect it. But the reality is I trained them to do that. I trained people in my life to comment on what I was eating, how my body looked, how much I exercised or didn't. So then to them, they're like, you know, we love you and we respect you, but this isn't you. This is right. dad. like, you know, so having that expectation without actually, um, you know, I guess like under the radar, people, even if they love and respect you, it's, it's an adjustment. Yeah. That's a beautiful example. And I think too, just um, for one, I envy, um, in a good way, women like you who are on this path in your Mm twenties, because although I was doing my thing to get me here, I wasn't as aware of what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And that awareness is so helpful um, just in navigating life. So like you said, um, when we all grow out of things on a regular basis, but sometimes we don't have the conversation with the people who aren't growing with us or who we need to grow with us. And then that creates some tension. And so I love that example. Um, and I can, I have several of the same looking back. I'm like, oh, you know, that was my responsibility. I created that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just what, what I love about awareness is it's empowering because if it was my responsibility to do something back then, I can certainly do it now. I can change my mind. If it was on me and I'm the one who needs to make the necessary changes and I love it because I'm like, okay, well, this is what I need. I don't have to wait for anyone else to do it. So, and especially in dating, a lot of my clients and single friends, um, they're complaining about this dynamic with this person that they're dating. And I'm like, you're answering the phone at 11, 30 and 12. And you don't really want to talk, you know, that late in the evening, because it leads to certain conversations. You have to stop answering. You have to answer when you want to talk. And I mean, people really just follow our lead when we do that. So I love it. So true. I love all of that and beautiful examples from both of you. And it also makes me think like, I keep seeing these things on Instagram about like attracting what you, you know, there's like that whole thing now of like attracting what you want. And it just made me think about like, if you start living your life, like the way that really is allowing for you to show up as the best version of yourself, it, it, kind of teaches the people and the world around you how to show up for you and it it does that attracting for you because it's one of those things I was like yeah like I get that but like how do you do that and like this for some reason is like making that click for me yeah I feel like it all goes hand in hand but I do want to talk a little bit about healing um especially in this age where we're all feeling like we're we're so our lives are so um, public where we're being so watched all the time. I know I've experienced with some of our friends and with myself, of course, as well, that sometimes we're afraid to dive into healing certain parts of us because we fear that that will then define us, whether it's to ourselves or our friends or whoever it may be. Um, so what advice do you have when it comes to someone that 
has something that they want to heal, but is afraid to dive into it because they're afraid of how that may define them. I'm using air quotes on define. Mm-hmm. When you say define, what do you mean? Like, so if I, I'm like, Go yeah. ahead. So for example, like for a, a friend who has like anxiety, like okay. very difficult anxiety, but is afraid to go to a therapist or, or go to a healer or join a community that would help with that because they don't want to feel like that is who they are, that they are their anxiety rather than it being something to be healed. Yeah. I thought that's what you meant. And that's, that's such a great topic. Um, for, I personally can, can relate to that because once you, it's sort of like, if you think something's going on within your body, you're afraid to go to the doctor because you don't want them to tell you, you know, you can't have certain things you like. hundred (laughs) percent. So you're like, I'm not going to go because I don't want to hear that I have to give up, you know, Pepsi. That's what I drink. Don't judge me, but I'm I'm a work in progress. So yeah, what I would say, (laughs) what I would say that whole, it was an era of good vibes only, and I don't want to offend anyone, but the whole good vibes only really just messed us up because it's, it's an expectation that is just not one that can be met. We're not going to go through life. I mean, it'll let you down every time. If you think you're going to, you know, do all this work and skip out into the world and not be affected or afflicted by anything, because that's not how life goes. And so I think just some reprogramming around what it means to really live life and what it means to really live with purpose or intention and be who we want to be, because in order for us to do that, we're going to have to get uncomfortable. And I think once we teach Mm -hmm. ourselves that being uncomfortable is a necessary part of the journey, then when something like an anxiety diagnosis or a depression diagnosis or, you know, um, whatever that people are dealing with, it won't seem so bad. It won't seem so like you're isolated because everyone's not having this conversation about how we all struggle with some form of anxiety or some form of the blues at some point in our lives. And so if we stop with the, I love, well, I'll say this, this new wave on Instagram where they're showing you the Instagram pose and then the real life pose. Yeah, yeah. Like on Instagram, this is what motherhood looks. This is what it means to be 20 on Instagram. This is what I'm really doing because we get to see the truth of it all. Mm. And so once we reprogram our idea of what it means to live life, understanding that it's not good vibes only, but as long as you're vibing, I'm not going to be happy every day. I was thinking to myself before getting on with you guys, I've had a headache all day. And I was like, I really need to, you know, raise my energy and my vibration so that I don't come on and be this version of me with a headache. But I mean, headaches are part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, someone could be listening right now who struggles like I have since I was nine years old with migraines and see that you can still live fully and, and struggle with something like that. So more vulnerability. More honesty, more of the truth of who we are and less of the posed version of ourselves is what's needed. Um, what I like to say is what impacts you doesn't have to define you. Um, just because you are someone, and I am um, someone who struggles with anxiety, um, now that I see a therapist, she's been able to guide me through um doing some reparenting and understanding the the younger version of me, I was in full-blown depression as a child. 
Um, and I was just pushing through it alone. Had I been able to have a conversation with someone and say, I don't feel good today without being judged, it would have made a world of difference. Yeah. So I'm always asking people and, you know, for yeah. those of you who are listening, ask your friends, how are you feeling? Um, not just compliment each other on our hair and our looks and who we're dating and what we're eating and how we lost weight, but you're smiling today and I love it. You know, you're not smiling today. You're being real. And that's why we're friends. I love your realness. And just having that um, heart to heart with each other, I think would be helpful. Definitely. Yeah. We've, we've really seen it firsthand and thank you for sharing that. I think that's so powerful. Um, but we've seen firsthand really how having these types of conversations just make us feel, you know, so much just understood, you know, because I, it's so easy to compare ourselves and wonder, you know, why am I struggling with this? And my, you know, my friend is, is perfectly navigating this situation, but the realer that we are, the more real that we are, um, I think it just allows the opportunity for so many other people to start to model the same. And what you said about um, the idea of being uncomfortable, I think that we, of course, are comfortable in our comfortable zo zones, but I feel like the most growth that I've ever experienced has started with taking an uncomfortable step. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's super powerful. And the last thing that you said um, a little bit ago, but it just really stuck with me was about doing this type of work in your 20s, whether it's navigating difficult conversations, setting boundaries, or simply maybe it's something like going to therapy. Um, that's part of the reason why we started this podcast is because if we're able to impact others through guests like you that we have on the show to, you know, start working on themselves and on their healing and on uncovering this most authentic version of themselves today, then the rest of their life is going to be so much more full and joyful. Um, it doesn't mean there won't be bumps along the way, but it'll just be set up for so much more fulfillment um, as a result of it. So I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, no, go ahead. No, did you have a thought on that? Part? No, no, go ahead. Just going off of that um, on the mental, on the mental health topic, obviously it's something that's very important to Brenda and I, and another reason why we wanted to have you on the show. Uh, is there anything that we kind of, you kind of started to touch on it with the good vibes things, but is there anything that you're seeing that's really like missing in that mental health advocacy space? And if so, is there any way that we can help to contribute to making it better, more inclusive? I would just love to hear your opinions on that. Um, yeah, I do. One of the one of the reasons it took me a while to get here as a former uh, mental health professional. I worked for years um, in my nine to five work, working with others in the area of mental health and wellness and all sorts of things, domestic violence, shelter, just all over. When it came to leadership and when it came to leading voices in the area of wellness, there wasn't a lot of people of color yeah. and Black women in particular. And so I appreciate um, you sharing your platform with someone who doesn't look like you and maybe identify in the same ways because Although we have differences, life and how we live it is not that far removed from one another. And so just making sure that every voice is represented, um, including your own female voice, young voice, um, single, married, navigating, not wanting to be with any, those who want children, those who don't, just having real conversations like you are is actually contributing to the work. And so you're already doing it, I would say. Um, I don't, I, so there's a difference between personal story and private. 
story. So I share my personal story all the time. Everyone's not called to do that, um, but it is a part of the work that I do. But I separate um, what is personal um, from what is private to me. So when I tell my story, I tell it from my perspective, naming the roles that my parents played without telling all of their business. Mm -hmm. um, and just being able to share in the way that I do. Um, although there are plenty of people when they tell me all the time, you know, I had two parents, I grew up in the suburbs and my parents were millionaires. And I absolutely identify with everything you say. Why is that? And someone once said, the more detailed you are, the more broad your message is. Yes. Because people like to say the devil is in the details, but I believe God is in the details. Mm -hmm. It's the little things, the conversations we have with ourselves, the things we don't say to other people that someone says, me too, it's helpful. So these conversations that you're having is absolutely contributing. So I would say, keep doing it. And what was missing in the past was this personal story. Mm -hmm. People are now branding their businesses around storytelling. Um, so although it was lost in the past, is very present now. And then just continuing to do the part um, that we can, the parts that we can, and making sure that every voice is represented as much as possible. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And it's funny that you say that because I'm, I'm an actor and I have my acting coach always says the more personal we are, the more universal we are. And yeah. I just think it's like so gorgeous. And I'm, I'm glad that you echoed that sentiment. Yeah, definitely. Love that. Yeah. Um, and we're glad to be part of the, this conversation and to have you who honored play such a such a huge role in this space. So thank you for sharing this time with us. Um, and because you've given us so much wisdom and our listeners so much wisdom already, I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us about your book. Yeah. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah, I released a book um, called I Hope This Helps. It's available wherever books are sold. Um, last year, actually during the worst year of my life, last year I lost my grandmother and then three months later, I lost my father um, to COVID actually. And so just as a way of being able to make it through those nights when I wasn't able to sleep, I got up and picked up the book that I started writing years ago, about seven years ago. And I just was writing just to do something with the time that was on my hands. And then I started sharing excerpts on social media and a few of them went viral. And when they went viral, I had people sending me emails and DMs just saying, you know, this, this, this work, this, this quote, what you're doing saved my life. I was going to commit suicide and I didn't because you gave voice to what I was trying to say, or, you know, I wanted to leave my husband and felt like a failure and now I can, or I don't have children and I thought I was a loser. And now I see, so it was just so many small messages like that. And I thought to myself, you know, I need to put the book out. So initially, I was just going to print copies for my family. We were all healing um, for the from the loss of our beloveds. And because other people said it was helpful, I said, okay, I'll put it out there. And so I hope this helps became available um, November of 2020, several months after losing. And my community just really showed up for me, making me um, a best-selling author on Amazon in two categories at the time. It's still selling, you know, months later, and I'm working on book number two. But this book um, is, is what I consider my baby. It really did um, push me 
to do what I am actually supposed to do in life. I like to be in the, in the background on the sidelines, helping others. I don't care about followers or likes or accolades. I just like doing the work. But what I realized last year is that in order for me to really be impactful, I do need to stop dimming my own light. And so when I use the word brilliance, I am really trying to make sure that everyone who has that light, who has that calling, that purpose, that thing, and it doesn't have to be a book or a business or an acting career or a husband or a baby. It could just be you saying, you know, this is me and I am okay with being who I am. And I'm going to show up in my life, in my work, with my family as I am without apology. That's good enough for me. I got chills. Are you crying? Just crying. <laughs> it's beautiful. And Aww. you're going to have to come back now to do a whole nother episode on just that topic because it's so oh, wow. important. The brilliance, the not dimming your own light. We, we all do it. I don't know why we do it, but we do it. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for, for sharing all of that with us and for giving us your time today. This has been absolutely an honor and so incredible and we just have two little last questions before we let you go sure if you could tell your 20s year old self one thing what would you tell her I love those kinds of questions I would tell her she's doing good she you're doing no one really ever tells us that we're doing good um, they tell us what we need to do or, or ourselves. We don't usually tell ourselves that what we're doing and who we are is okay while we're building who we want to be. So I would tell her, you're doing just fine. You're doing good. Just relax. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We all need to hear that. Um, and our last question for you is where can people find you if they want to work with you, if they want to find your stuff, all the things. Um, so thank you. I just did a beautiful rebrand. Um, speaking of coming out off the sidelines of my website, um, it was bloggy, you know, I was just showing up and writing, um, but I worked on it and now it's been rebranded. And so you can find me at NikiaHomer.com. I'm everywhere on social media at Nikia Homer. And I just um, decided to relaunch my 12 week program where I work with people one-on-one -on -one every week via phone or um, video call to really push through difficult seasons um, that you wouldn't have someone there with you holding your hand, telling you the truth, sharing your own personal story um, to do. And so um, that's there. My book is there. And yeah. Amazing. Nakia, thank you so, so, so much for your time, your wisdom, thank everything you. that you've contributed today. It's been an honor. It's been so wonderful to get to talk to you. I appreciate you both. I love what you're doing. Keep it up. And if no one told you, you're doing good. You're doing well. <laughs> you're being, you are exactly who you need to be. Take the pressure off and just keep, keep being. Thank you so much. We needed that. We need that. Thank you so much, Nakia. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Roaring 20s Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring 20s Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With, with love. love. Brenda and Julia.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.